Next on Contemplate. We see a little shard of pot with a little drawing on it. Looks like a rabbit mixed with a buffalo or whatever. And we're like, intelligence. Clearly, this was the design of intelligence. There was a civilization here. And then we see three billion letters in the genetic code that leads to a human being. And we say, wasn't that lucky? It's amazing how we can get things so goofed up, isn't it? Well, today, Pastor David will continue to show us how God isn't hiding at all, but reveals himself in all kinds of ways. Here's Pastor David. My kids sometimes would ask me when I'd tell them, to do, don't go out in the street or don't do this or don't do that. Sometimes they would ask me, why? Right? I don't know if your kids ever said why, but between the ages of three and four, I think I heard that word a million times, right? Everything was why. And sometimes I can explain why, but sometimes the answer simply is this. I don't have the time to explain to you why I'm telling you to do or not do this thing because frankly, at three years old, it's beyond your current comprehension. So you can ask, but you, can't, you couldn't understand all the factors that are going into why I don't want you to do that thing. This is kind of like that. Why, God, why don't you do it this way? Why don't you do it my way? Why don't you do it the way that I think it should be done? If I was God, I would do it this way. And he's kind of like, well, the simple fact is, is that the reasons are beyond your current understanding. And the simple fact is that because of that, the argument itself, in my opinion, falls down. Mostly because of the assumptions that it's making about how God would do certain things, which is, uh, which is absurd to suggest that we could know. Nevertheless, nevertheless, even though I think it fails for those reasons, I do not believe that God is hidden actually at all in the way that they're suggesting. So not only is the argument bad, but I think it's saying something that's untrue about the hiddenness of God. The real question is, is there enough evidence for God that a reasonable person could or maybe should believe in him? Is there enough evidence for God that a reasonable person could or should believe in him? There's something called object permanence. You may be familiar with this concept. Object permanence is the reason that while we're sitting in here, we don't believe that the sun just disappeared because we can't see it, right? Like I can put something in front of you know, this thing, and you still think that the thing behind it exists, right? This is the thing that really little kids don't have, which is why when you're like this, you know, they're like, where'd he go? Right? Because they can't see it. Where'd he go? I, I don't know. I love doing that with kids. You know, by the time they were seven or eight, my kids, you know, didn't get into it anymore, but object permanence. We understand that things exist even though we don't see them. We understand that things exist even when we can no longer see them. And there's kind of a secondary place that we go with object permanence that says, listen, not only do I believe that the sun exists because I've seen it so many times, at least three months a year here, I get to see it. I've seen it so many times that I know that just because a cloud comes over or because I walk into a building didn't mean that the sun went away. It still exists even though I can't see it. Then there's also the kind of permanence that would be things like, you've never seen it at all, but you have other kinds of evidence to believe it. That's the way you believe in Moscow or Albuquerque if you've never been to those places, right? You've heard of them. You've seen a map, those kinds of things. You believe it's there. That's why you believe when your friend's telling you a story about how their grandma said this or that. You don't think, well, I've never seen your grandma. I don't think she exists. That's not what you never even think that, right? They're telling you about their grandma. You believe in what they're saying. Their testimony gives you a kind of object permanence about something that you've never seen. 
That's the way that that works. We believe in events. We believe in people. We believe in places and so on, oftentimes based on evidence, even though we cannot see them. We have a permanence. We we believe that they continue to exist. We believe that those things are happening, even though we cannot see them. There's a movie called The Patriot. Some of you have seen it. It's a Mel Gibson movie about, you know, uh, the Revolutionary War. And they're always talking about how the French are going to come. There's a French guy in the movie and, oh, my compatriots are going to come. And some people believe that they are and some people don't believe that they are, right? And, and they do end up coming, right? But in his mind, he knew he had, a, he had a permanence about the fact that the French were on their way, that they were preparing, that they were doing the things they needed to do to get in the ships to sail over here to America and help us win the war. And if they hadn't come, we'd all be speaking English right now instead of American, you know? So I'll, I'll give you a second with that. It does sound different, okay? Um, They say hospital without the in front of it. I don't know if you've noticed that. It's terrible. Anyway, um, he knew that the French were coming, right? He had a purpose about that. He understood that it was happening even though he couldn't see it. He had enough evidence to believe it. We believe that things will happen even though we don't see them. We believe that people exist even though we don't see them. We believe that places exist even though we don't see them. The fact is that none of you doubt the stories of other people about the people that they've seen or the places that they've been or the things they say they're going to do because you assume that the evidence that they're giving is reasonable. None of you doubt when, when Steve, Pastor Steve Bragg comes up and talks about the Philippines. None of you doubt that the Philippines exists, even though most of you have probably not been there, Right? You understand there's a permanence, and you believe that it exists even when you can't see it. It doesn't just go away, right? You have evidence of those things, and, and, and it is actually the reasonable thing for you to do to believe in things that you don't see when you have evidence that they exist, and it should be the same with God, right? I don't think that the Philippines is hidden just because I can't see it right now. I understand that it exists because I have evidence that it exists. So uh, when we dig in the ground, right, you people go out and they do these like archaeological digs and they're digging in the ground and they see, I mean, a few shards of pottery, a few shards of pottery. And they say, we know that a civilization was here thousands of years ago. A few shards of pottery. We know that a civilization was here a few thousand years ago. Then we go and scientists see galaxies and oceans and animals and human beings and we assume that it's all random chance and that it came from nothing. We see a little shard of pot with a little drawing on it, looks like a rabbit mixed with a buffalo or whatever, and we're like, intelligence! Clearly this was the design of intelligence. There was a civilization here, and then we see three billion letters in the genetic code that leads to a human being, and we say, wasn't that lucky? Atheists look at the creation and marvel and then ignore the obvious implications of the evidence that it was God who made it all. Because those are the obvious implications of the evidence. They mistake the pot for the potter and think that the creation itself is the highest thing. And then they say to God, why won't you show yourself? Why are you so hidden? Now remember, he has shown himself sufficiently to by far and away most of the people that are alive now and have ever lived because they believe in God. He has shown himself to those people. And think about this. They believe in a loving God, most of those people. 
Now, to believe in a God, I think, is very obvious. You just have to look around. But to believe that God is loving, that's a whole other step that actually, by just the natural world evidence, would not be something that we would automatically assume. Right? We wouldn't necessarily assume God was loving unless he had truly revealed himself. C.S. Lewis wrote that when he was an atheist, one of his big arguments for atheism was that the world and the universe was so cold and that people were so brutal and horrible. It was all a mess. It was all a mess. And he realized that there was a problem with the argument against a loving God by saying that the universe is so messed up. And this is what he said. If the universe is so bad, or even half so bad, how on earth did human beings ever come to attribute it to the activity of a wise and good creator? Men are fools, perhaps, but hardly so foolish as that. The spectacle of the universe as revealed by experience can never have been the ground of religion. It must always have been something in spite of which religion acquired from a different source was held. Reflect for five minutes on the fact that all the great religions were first preached and long practiced in a world without anesthesia. At all times, then, an inference from the course of events in this world to the goodness and wisdom of the Creator would have been equally preposterous. Religion has a different origin. Lewis is saying that this complaint that atheists make that the world is so bad, therefore a good God couldn't exist, kind of brings up its own problem. Then why do so many people believe that a good God exists if all the evidence suggests that things are bad? It must be that there's another way that we know that there's a good God than simply just looking at the universe. In fact, Lewis is saying that God has revealed himself. He is not hidden, but that he has made himself known to us. That's why we attribute the world to a loving God. Now, the skeptic says he needs some kind of incontrovertible proof. Lewis is saying God has revealed himself, and the skeptic says, I need something more. Andrew McPhee, who is a character in Lewis's book, That Hideous Strength, it was a novel, and he was a skeptic. And this is what he said. He said, if anything wants Andrew McPhee to believe in its existence, I'll be obliged if it will present itself in full daylight with a sufficient number of witnesses present and not get shy if you hold up a camera or a thermometer. The skeptic demands that God show up for a medical exam. But God is not like that, nor is he likely to show up to you in a way that you demand of him, nor should he be that way. But he has revealed himself in ways like that before. Would you settle for pillars of cloud and fire leading the Israelites to the desert? That happened. Didn't keep the Israelites from worshiping idols, did it? Miracles did not and never have by themselves caused obedience. By themselves, miracles are ways in which God has shown himself, proven himself to exist, have never by themselves caused obedience, have never by themselves caused people to love God, which is the whole point. But they have often caused people to whine. You split the Red Sea for us, God? That was great. Defeated the Israelites. The manna from heaven, we're eating that up, but can we have some meat up in here? How many miracles do they need? They just want more. Those who came to feeding the 5,000, and then they're seeking Jesus out, right, after that. And this is what he says to them. Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. 
Do not labor for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who sent me. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform them? That we may see it and believe you. What work will you do? He just fed 5,000 people with a couple of loaves and some fishes. He's been, you know, raising people from the dead. The blind are seeing, the lame are walking. They're like, what are you going to do? Prove it. Prove it. Prove that you're from God. Prove that you're God. So don't be so sure that seeing is believing. Many people have seen signs and wonders and have not responded in humility and love for God, but in selfishness and sin. So maybe there's a reason why God doesn't just show himself in the way that you want him to. We need to understand that God is not a part of creation. He is outside of that. He is above creation. He's not someone who is physically seen at all times like you and I. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, Well, we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things that are, which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now the skeptic may be saying, Okay, now you're saying God's invisible. That's just another cop-out. It's not a cop-out. There are many things that are invisible, but which we totally believe exist. Right? Like gravity. There's a reason I'm not like floating away right now. You believe that gravity is working, right? I've created some of my own extra gravity. I just want to make sure I stay, you know, low to the ground. It's not a cop-out. There's all kinds of things to real. I believe, you know, that I, I, I don't see, I don't see my wife's love for me. I don't see her love for me. I know it's there, right? But I don't see it because love is invisible. Justice is real, but it's invisible. Hope is real. So these are some of the most important things to us in the world, all of which we think are real, or what would life be worth living? And yet you don't see those things. You might see the effects of those things, but you don't see those things. Your thoughts right now, you all are thinking something. You're all thinking something, right? But I can't see your thoughts. I can't see them. But that doesn't mean I don't think they exist because I don't see them because I know that thoughts are invisible. I understand that they're invisible. I don't make demands on you to make them visible or else I won't believe that you know how to think. Right? I can assume, I have object permanence about your thoughts. I recognize that even though I can't see inside your head, you really do have thoughts or I would be wasting my time. I don't make demands on love and justice and hope and thoughts to show themselves or else I won't believe that they exist. Wind is invisible, but we see its effects, right? That's what it's like with God. That's what it's like with God. The creator is not the created. He is not created. He is above creation in every way. So what are the effects that we can see that make us know that God is not hidden? What are some of the ways that God reveals himself? Well, he reveals himself primarily and first through nature. Something that we can all see. Romans 1, 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They push the truth away in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. 
For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Listen, we know now, physics has come along and confirmed for us, we know now that the universe had a beginning, that there was a big, which is what the Bible's always said. God said, and boom, it happened. That there was a beginning. They used to say, well, why we think the universe might be eternal. And so we can make all these arguments about atheism because the universe might be eternal. But then they've gone back and went, ah, it started. It came from nothing. It came from the beginning. Now, what we know is that things that begin to exist have a cause. All things that begin to exist have a cause. And if the universe began to exist, then the universe has a cause. And that cause is obviously God. What else would be the cause? What else would be the cause? We look at this universe and we see the, I mean, especially today, it was, he's saying even back 2,000 years ago, they had all that they needed through nature, and now today we have so much more. We now understand the constants in the universe, like how much gravity there is, the, the, the rate at which things are expanding, the different physical characters. We understand that those constants have to be so finely tuned that it is essentially impossible that we should exist right now. By probability, there is no way. You would win the lottery, okay? The mega power whatever lottery a billion times before the things that have to be true for this universe to exist all came together at once. God has shown his handiwork. God has shown himself as a creator, as a designer. This is what Stephen Hawking, who passed away recently, He's a scientist. He was an atheist. This is what he said. The odds against a universe like ours emerging out of something like the Big Bang are enormous. The odds against it are enormous. He says, I think there are religious implications. The simple fact is that there are a number of what we call natural theology arguments. Arguments that are based on nature. Arguments that are based on what we can see from the physical world. And they show clearly the existence of God. He is not hiding. He has revealed himself in scripture. He has revealed himself to us as human beings in ways that are just undeniable in scripture. You are talking about the most sophisticated, incredible book that has ever been given to humankind. The knowledge that is contained in scripture is unthinkably amazing. It's fascinating. Just the fulfilled prophecies alone that we know that this thing was written 800 years before this thing and this thing says exactly what's going to happen here. Just that alone should be enough to reveal that God has been revealing himself through Scripture. If you want to know more about why we believe that Scripture reveals God and why we believe that it's reliable, if you go to SeekingSkeptics.com, and there's a couple of different series of these. The first one was Skeptics Forum. I think it's the fourth message in that, if you're interested in that. You can go watch that, and we talk about why we believe that Scripture is true. But Scripture reveals who God is. It has been a way that he's used to reveal himself and his plan to us, to tell us who we are and who he is and how much he loves us. It's very clear he is not hiding. He reveals himself in our heart. Even the atheists and agnostics have to do away with that, that kind of haunting feeling that there's a God. They have to push it away. Right? Because he's told us. He's shown it to them. He's shown him, he's shown them. He's put on their heart, he's written on their heart that he exists. And they have to sort of push that away, that feeling of God. 
So is that you? Have you kind of felt deep inside that there has to be more to life, but you push it away? Well, I hope that today has helped you realize that God really is the answer. And if you have questions or we can help you find the truth, please call us at 360-885-9000 or send us an email. Use info at axchurchnw.org. And of course, we'd love for you to come see us at Axe Church this Sunday morning. Easy directions and all the info you need are just a click away at axechurchnw.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll check out our next episode for more evidence that God is not hiding at all here on Contemplate.